Hey, good morning, East Bay. Good to see you. I don't know if you noticed in the foyer, we have a few Easter lilies left from last week, and um, these were ones that were purchased for decoration. If you did buy one and didn't get one uh, last week, go ahead and grab one on your way out. I know that there will be some extras sitting out there in the foyer, so even if you didn't buy one, uh, feel free. Go ahead, grab one. You can plant them. If you are a cheap husband and your wife isn't here today, this is God's will for you to do something special for her. And go ahead, grab one, take it home to her. She will be so happy with you for doing that today. Hey, welcome to our new series called The Comeback. It's not over yet. We are all comeback stories in the writing. We go through our bad days, some worse than others, but they're being written right now. Some of us have stories of amazing comeback. So I invite you to turn to a comeback story in the Old Testament. In fact, it's the first book of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, and the very last chapter of the book of Genesis, chapter 50. I don't know what your worst day has been like, but compare it with a few of these. Fire authorities in California found a corpse in a burned-out section of forest while assessing the damage done by a forest fire. The deceased male was dressed in a full wetsuit, complete with scuba tanks on his back, flippers, and a face mask. A post-mortem test revealed the man died not from burns, but from massive internal injuries. Dental records provided a positive identification. Investigators then set about to determine how a fully clothed diver ended up in the middle of a forest fire. It was revealed that on the day of the fire, the man went diving off the coast some 20 miles from the forest. The firefighters seeking to control the fire as quickly as possible had called in a fleet of helicopters with very large dip buckets. I think you're figuring out what happened. Water was scooped from the ocean, emptied at the site of the forest fire. And some days it just doesn't pay to get out of bed, does it? Here's another bad day. The average cost of rehabilitating a seal after the Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska was $80,000 per seal. At a special ceremony, two of the most expensively saved animals were being released back into the wild, and as the seals were released... They seemed to swirl and twist with excitement and appreciation, and the crowd screamed and cheered, understanding the sense of accomplishment that now they were giving back to the earth something that had been taken. The two seals were now clean and free. And one minute later, in view of the entire crowd, a killer whale ate both of them. Yes. And lastly, to make your day feel better, a woman came home to find her husband in the kitchen shaking frantically, 
almost in a dancing-like frenzy with some kind of wire coming out of his waist toward the electric kettle. Terrified of what was happening, she intended to jolt him away from the deadly current. Thinking quickly, she, she grabbed the rolling pin that was nearby and was whacking him. She broke his arm in two places. Up to that moment, he had been happily listening to his Walkman. Yes. Well, for some here, it's been more than a bad day or a bad week. To be serious, for some people here, it's been a really tough and long ride. For some people here, it may have been a long stretch of health problems or cancer treatments. For some, it's been a decade or two of a lonely and difficult marriage. And sometimes we are dealt with issues or faced with challenges in our lives. And you know what? We never went looking for them. It's not like as if I would love to invite some problems into my life, but here they are. And they came and they found me. And we've never been the same ever since. Tired and frustrated. And we would just love to know the answer to the age-old question of why? Why? Well, today we're going to take a quick look at the life of a man who not only had a bad day or a bad week, he had a bad two decades, 20 years of radical challenges, and it's found in the book of Genesis. In fact, it's in the last 13 chapters. <clears throat> and while you're in the last <clears throat> chapter of Genesis, chapter 50, I'm actually going to begin 13 chapters before, and just stay there. I'm going to catch up to you really quick. Here's how this whole account began with uh, the individual Joseph. It began when he was 17 years old. And for some, this may be the first time you've ever heard this account. For others, you may have heard this account many times. But Joseph was 17 years old, and he had a couple dreams. And he had a, he had a number of other brothers. His parents loved him dearly. In fact, he was like the favorite to his parents. His dad made a special coat for him. He gave it to him. Some people have possibly heard this coat described as the coat of many colors. And Joseph's dreams went like this. <clears throat> Here his sheave of wheat out in the field was standing tall and there were all of the other sheaves of wheat represented by his brothers that were around him and those sheaves of wheat were bowing to his and he thought, wow, what a dream. I'm going to go tell my brothers. And so he did. And guess who didn't really like the dream a whole lot? The text says that his brothers absolutely hated him. They abhorred him. And they were thinking of ways that they could get rid of him. Then he had another dream where these stars were all around and they were bowing toward the star that represented Joseph and the stars represented the brothers and it represented even Joseph's parents. And he told them all about the dream and 
And once again, it continued to fuel this, this passion and this hatred of his brothers for Joseph. And, and, and it came to a boiling point. And as the, as the narrative continued to go on, the father said, I want you to go out in the field and I want you to find your brothers. I want you to see how, how they're doing. And so that's exactly what Joseph did. And he went looking for them. They had actually moved on in their, um, in their watch over the cattle. And, and Joseph went farther and he found them. And here the brothers saw him coming from a long ways off. And the text said that they seethed with anger. And they were thinking, how can we take him out? How can we kill our brother? And then that'll be the end of his dreams. That'll be the end of this crazy stuff that he's been talking about. We've had it with him. And one brother, Reuben, said, no, let's not kill him. Let's figure out some other method. And so actually, Joseph came close. And what they did is they took him and they threw him down into a cistern. It was an area where they would typically hold water. At this point in time, it was dry. They threw him down in there. And during the time that he was sitting there, they were, they were figuring out how, what they were going to do with him. And in fact, let me just mention to you what happened during that time. The text mentions while he was in the cistern, he couldn't get out. Here's later on in the text, chapter 42, verse 21. They were discussing, the brothers were discussing in past tense what had happened and it says, they saw, we saw how distressed he was, Joseph was, when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. And the text mentions when they actually threw him in the pit while they were discussing what they were going to do with him. You know what they did? They went and ate their meal. Talk about cold and callous. They were abusing him, they were rejecting him. And while he was screaming and crying and pleading, don't do it, don't do it, please keep me, they decided, let's go. Let's go eat, guys. Talk about cold. And just at this time, they looked up, and here comes this band of Ishmaelites coming through, <clears throat> and, and one of them got this great idea. You know what, let's go ahead, let's sell them. Let's sell him to these Ishmaelites, and they did, and they got 20 shekels of silver out of this, and off they went, and the Ishmaelites took him down to Egypt. They sold him into slavery down there, and the brothers took that coat of many colors. They killed a goat. They put the blood on it, and they took it back to Dad, and they said, here you go. Sorry. He died. This is all we have. And the brothers kept a lie for 22 years. And Joseph, screaming in desperation, was put on a cart forcibly, the text mentions later on, going to Egypt. He was sold into slavery, he went to Potiphar's house. He did the best that he could for Potiphar in his home. Potiphar's wife made sexual advances toward him. He resisted and actually ran out she lied then, saying he was actually trying to advance himself on her. Potiphar then had Joseph thrown into prison. Can you believe this? Kind of makes our story sound maybe a little bit better. So he goes from being abused and rejected by his family, sold into slavery, screaming for his life to a foreign country, 
in slavery, he tries to do the best he can. The wife of the home where he's staying makes up a lie, and then he gets thrown into prison. And then in prison, he, he does the best he can. He ends up interpreting dreams. Thank you, my wife. Without this water, I can only preach for about an hour and 15 minutes. Some of you are like, why did she give it to him? Where was I? Now, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> okay. So anyways, while he's in prison, he interprets dreams for two guys who both used to work for Pharaoh. One of them, he said, you're going to live. The other interpreter's dream says, sorry, you're going to end up dying. They both get out of prison, and he tells the guy who was going to live, you know what? When you get out, put in a good word for me. Get me out. I'm here forcibly. I'm a Hebrew. I don't belong here. Get me out of prison. <clears throat> and then the Bible mentions he got out and he forgot two, and I love the wording in the scriptures, two full years went by. Can you imagine that? 13 years passed from the dream to the pit to Potiphar's house to prison all of it through the heights of rejection abuse and I don't know if this morning I might be picking a scab for some people. But this is more than just he went through tough times. Folks, let me just get right down to the reality of it. When I say some of these things, there may be some people sitting here this morning, and I understand who might be seeing images or hearing sounds of you dealing with abuse or rejection from your past, from your home, from your siblings, from your spouse, from your parents. And we realize that in America... More than 10 million women and men experience domestic violence every year. With more than 5 million children looking on at some of the most heinous acts of violence in the home that should be the most protective unit known to mankind. And as I talk about Joseph screaming in the pit for his life, some of you might actually be thinking about a time when you screamed, don't hit me. Or please don't hit her. Because it's real. And 13 years passed, how could you ever recover? 
And then Pharaoh had a dream. It was a bizarre dream, and he couldn't understand what it meant. And then finally, ding, the cupbearer remembered there was this guy back in prison who could understand dreams. And they brought Joseph out, and they cleaned him up, and they gave him a shave, and they made him look presentable, and they brought him to Pharaoh. And he told Pharaoh, the dream is about seven years there's going to be this tremendous plenty, this bounty in the land, followed by seven years of extreme famine. And he says, you need to be able to build up during those seven years to prepare for the seven years of famine. And, and, and Pharaoh said, well, how do we do it? And he says, choose someone to do it. And Pharaoh said, I can't think of a better person than you. And Joseph went from that cart to slavery, to Potiphar's, to prison, to the palace. And he helped prepare Egypt for the famine. He stocked up through the years of plenty. And then the, then the famine came. And two years into the famine, guess who shows up? But his brothers from Israel, because the famine affected the whole area, and his brothers showed up, it's 22 years after they sold him to the Ishmaelites. They couldn't recognize him. They had no idea it was him. Joseph was speaking through an interpreter to his brothers. And Joseph understood in an instant what all of it meant. And so here we are in Genesis chapter 50 with some very significant statements that can help us in our time of trouble. They help Joseph in his. And we need to walk through these things here this morning. Genesis in chapter 50, let me get there with you. If you look toward the end of the chapter, we're just going to look at two verses here. I obviously have a whole lot more narrative that I'm going to pull into it. But look at these two verses. Joseph actually revealed himself to his brothers in chapter 45 and said, here's who I am. But what happened in chapter 50 is their dad died and then the brothers were thinking, oh, you're going to kill us now. <laughs> now that dad's out of the way, you're going to kill us and this is what came up to the words of Joseph, starting in verse 19. But Joseph said to them, are you there, verse 19? Joseph said to them, don't, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. A 22-year comeback for Joseph. And there are three statements, I believe, that were foundational in his comeback that will help us wherever we are with whatever we are dealing with, but especially if we're dealing with issues of rejection, if we're dealing with issues of abuse. These are foundational statements to help us understand the nature and character of God and how it sets up our comeback. 
Look at statement number one. If you have your, your East Bay Weekly, grab the back. You can look there. We're going to walk through these together. Statement number one comes right out of this in verse 19. He understood the reality of God. Am I in the place of God? And then notice verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. We're going to parse this out in a couple different ways. But let me tell you one of the first statements to set up this comeback, and here's what it is. Believe God is good when people are not. Believe God is good when people are not. Now, I need to say something. I'm not going to walk through all of this. But I realize due to the size of our group here today, there may be people in this group that are dealing today with physical sexual abuse right now. And I want to tell you, if you are being physically or sexually abused, seek immediate help. None of this discussion is meant to keep you in harm's way. I just want to be very plain about that. Everything I say today, I'm not here to say, so stay in it. Seek immediate help now. It's time to get help now. But believe God is good when people are not. For Joseph, it all started with a dream from God. God made some providential promises to him in his youth. He was going to bless him in a special way. His brothers hated him. They rejected him for it. They thought they would end his dream by getting rid of him, so they sold him. They sent him away to another country as a slave. And this brings us to a question that we need to ask this morning. Is there anyone or anything that can stop God's promises? So think about that. God made a promise to Joseph when he was 17 years old in this dream. His brothers thought they could stop it by selling him off into slavery and shipping him away to another country. And the question comes up, can anyone or anything stop God's promises? Now, in case you're wondering, I'm going to give you the answer to that question. The answer is no. Okay? But let me, let me throw this at you. One has counted 8,810 promises that God has made in the Bible. And if you think that's a wrong count, you can start counting now. Tell me at the end of the message if I was right. Can the evil intentions of our adversaries or can the harshness of life stand in the way of God's love and goodness and promises toward us? I want to read for you verses that are mentioned there on your outline Romans in chapter 8 would you listen to these closely folks this answers the question very quickly 
precisely Romans 8, 35 through 39. Listen to this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Listen to this, verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Paul goes on, for I am convinced. Listen to these adversaries. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We must understand that there is nothing in all of creation that could ever impede God's promises from happening. And I'm not trying to make light of the hellish situation that you might find yourself in. I'm not trying to make light of what Joseph found himself in in this situation, but what I am trying to understand is we need to make big of the God who makes promises to us. Like, I realize what we're going through is a big deal. But can I also elevate the reality? Our God is a bigger deal than the challenge we face. It almost makes a church want to say something nifty, like, I don't know, amen or something like that. Our God is a bigger deal than the problem we face. And as bad intended as people may be around us, God is good intended. And no one can stop his promises from happening. We just need to make big of our God. No one can stop a one of the 8,810 promises of God. And Joseph knew his abusers. He knew them very well. But he also knew his God. He knew his God was good. He knew his God was bigger. He knew nothing could keep God's promises from being fulfilled even 22 years later. Let's go on to number two. Another statement that set up his comeback, and this is really critical. Think about this one. If you think God has forgotten you, then you have forgotten who God is. If you think God has forgotten you, then you've forgotten who God is. Now there is a repeated phrase in these 13 chapters accounting the life of Joseph and I just want to read this repeated phrase to you. It mentions even chapter 39 in a number of places and on. Listen to this. And the Lord was with Joseph. And again, the Lord was with him. And again, the Lord gave him success in everything he did. And again, the blessing of the Lord was upon Joseph. 
and then again, the Lord was with Joseph, and then again, the Lord was with him. And, and it doesn't appear a coincidence that it was repeated throughout these chapters. And it goes in every situation. The Lord was with him in Potiphar's home. The Lord was with him in prison. The Lord was with him when he went to see Pharaoh. The Lord was with Joseph all the way through. Not just in his land of Israel, but the Lord was with him all the way through. And so then this brings us to another question this morning that I want to ask. It's an important question. Is there anywhere you can go where God is not with you? Think about it. Is there anywhere you can go where God is not with you? I, I remember a verse, Hebrews chapter 13, 5, that I, I was taught as a little kid and it's the words of Jesus, and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I remember my parents telling me that if I was scared in my bedroom, needed a nightlight, nervous to put my foot out on the floor from the bed, and they would tell me, Jesus is always with you, even if it's dark. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. And I, and I realize that's a nice theology, but do you realize, folks, there are times we can feel intensely alone and in despair. You can even be in a crowd of 600 people and feel like, you are all by yourself. I want to read for you a passage of Scripture. It's there on your text. And, and man, does this ever say the reality of God's presence with us. No matter what, Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Now listen to this. Is there anywhere you can go where God is not with you? Listen to these words. Where can I go from your spirit? Think about this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Listen to this guiding. God is there even if we're so far away, even if we're all the way in Egypt, even if we're in prison, God is there to guide us. God is there to give us stability. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, no one will ever see me, and the light become night around me, and then it says, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. And even when you feel all by yourself, even if you're on the cart, even if no one speaks your language, even if it's all unjust, 
if we think just because in that situation everyone else has forgotten, we better not forget. God's not like that. If we think God's forgotten us, we've forgotten who he is. And I just need to give you this third statement. This one's so important. This one just rings at home. And we need to hear this this morning. Number three, that statement that sets up the comeback, your pain is never without his purpose. Your pain is never without his purpose. Joseph said it with divine clarity. You intended to harm me. God intended it for good. And if that isn't enough, listen to this in chapter 45, verse 7. What do you mean God intended it? You mean God intended for Joseph to go to Egypt? Well, listen to how Joseph explained it in chapter 45. As he first revealed himself to his brothers, check this out, verse 7, it says, he tells his brothers, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. What a crazy perspective. Hey, you thought you shipped me out? No, God just kind of sent me ahead. Like, I got the early bus here. Verse 8, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. What? God. Talk about some crazy divine clarity. Joseph looked at his pain through the purpose of God. And he saw ultimately, it was good. I didn't really like it. But look what God did. And it brings us to our last question for the morning. Is there anything you experience that's outside of his purpose? Is there anything that we go through, anything that is apart from the purpose of God? And with crazy clarity, I can just tell you here this morning, no. Everything has divine, clear purpose. I'm not saying we're going to understand it all. I'm not saying we'll figure it all out here on earth and, and be able to link it all together, but there's nothing that is arbitrary with God. God has purpose and reasoning. I, I want to give you a few verses that are listed there in your outline. Jeremiah 10, 23. The prophet says, I know, O Lord, the way of a man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. God makes the ultimate decisions. Daniel 4, 35. God does according to his will. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Job 42.2, Job says, I know you can do everything and no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Psalm 115.3, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. And we deal with a God, folks, that is not a whimsical God. When we experience 
pain and trouble, he does not act in an arbitrary or capricious way. God is brilliant. He is genius. He is purposeful. He is intentional. He is hard to figure out sometimes. Oh, yeah. But it does help us to know, even if we can't figure him out, everything we experience, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it hurts, it is for a reason. Reminds me of a couple situations that I had um, with our kiddos. I remember one time our Bryn was two years old and um, she was crying after church one morning and I remember this, this one kid brought her up and said, she's crying. I, we saw her fall off the piano bench and um, she's crying. We don't know what's going on and so we pick her up and, and, uh, and I can't remember exactly what service it was but it was a special Sunday. They were all in pretty dresses and long sleeve dresses and, and um, now what is going on? And and I remember um, she was holding her arm weird, and we grabbed her sleeve and pulled it up. And folks, it was like she had a second elbow right here, and her arm went like that. And instantly, our heart just whoa, right up in our throat. And I thought, oh my, what are we going to do? And so off the ER we went and um, and I remember walking in and holding my daughter and the doctors were saying um, okay looks like her arm is broken I'm like wow that's why you get paid the big bucks folks it's called a green stick it's not like us old people where our bones are brittle and just snaps but it's like a sapling that frays so instead of it snapping, it, it just kind of splinters and frays. And, and, and that's what it was where there are two bones in her upper arm and it just went this way. And he said, um, here's what we need to do. We need to um, give her something to kind of put her out for a while. He says, I'm actually going to be giving her a narcotic. So I'm going to be giving her a narcotic, a needle. He says, it's, it's a drug, just like what you would see out there. And, um, and she's actually going to trip out. He says, you're going to see her eyes. And he says, and then I'm going to manually maneuver her arm and try to get it back into position. And then we're going to start to cast And he says, and Dad, here you go. I need you to sign this paper giving me permission to give her a narcotic and to grab her arm and just move it back. Now, folks, you know when as a parent you say, I'll never, ever let anyone hurt you. had to because there was a purpose there's a bigger purpose I signed it 
just like he said. It wasn't too long, and up with her eyes. And he grabbed her arm, and I, I'll never forget watching him go. I end up thinking, can I have one of those shots? When our Brenna was five and she had to have surgery to correct a kidney problem, and um, and I remember the the doctor said, here's what we're going to do. You're going to bring her in and we're going to play a little game. You blow up a balloon and she'll blow up a balloon. Yours will be normal, hers will be filled with some funny stuff. And you're going to play a little game, and she'll go out. He says, then, then you leave the room, Dad. He says, we're going to cut her here, and we're going to cut her here. And we need to go in, and the tube that extends from her kidney, we need to slice that open, and we need to adjust that, and we need to reconnect it and put a stent in there. And, and, you know, you make promises to your kids. I'm never going to let anyone hurt you. Anyone that touches you. I sign a piece of paper. Okay. Because there's a purpose. There's a good purpose. Folks, I'm here to say with our God, I know we go through things that hurt. And I know we go through things that don't make sense. But the beauty of our God is that anything we deal with eventually is attached to, thankfully, His purpose. And I'm not saying we'll figure it all out. I'm not saying we're necessarily going to like it. But I do say that in the end, God always does what's right. Always. Now, in my remaining couple minutes here, um, you know, Joseph could be a sermon series in itself. And I need to pack it all in to... 35 minutes or less or your money back and that's just a not happening so um, here's some steps some of you are saying how do I get to that purpose I'm in pain I've gone through pain how do I get to the purpose I want that purpose I want to make sure I don't blow this situation let me let me give you three things that we see from Joseph that I believe we need to model and mimic in our lives as well when we go through this. And listen to these. Number one, this is so critical, folks. If you are, if, if you are going through something, this is critical. Number one, don't decline with your circumstances. Man, circle that, italicize it, do whatever you need to do. Don't decline with your circumstances. Sometimes people naturally go down with their circumstance because their situation has gone downhill. 
They feel justified in going down with it. Maybe they feel less valuable. Oh, I've gone through this. I'm secondhand goods. I'm not as valuable. Or maybe they feel anger and bitterness toward the people that have done things. And it fuels them. And it takes over their, their personality and the way that they express themselves. Maybe they get down and depressed and they stay in bed or they don't care for themselves or they stay in the house or they stay away from people. Or maybe they compromise their beliefs. You know what? I'll, since they dumped me, I'll never get someone good, so I might as well just whoop, let's lower the bar. Whatever. Whoever comes along. Or maybe they compromise their sexual purity. Maybe they disrespect their body as God's dwelling place. Maybe they don't watch their speech Maybe they try for revenge or retaliation or maybe they gossip. And let me just tell you folks, let me, listen to this. Joseph never bought into the logic that you can do your own thing because you had it rough. He never bought it. He was the best slave Potiphar ever had. He was the best prisoner that prison guard ever had. And in fact, although all of it was unjust, the Bible mentions God used him even to elevate and prosper the people around him. Those people never had it so good. Like, this guy's phenomenal. We've never had it so good since Joseph has been around. And guess who was the one who was going through all the problems? It was Joseph. And through God's work and blessing, he elevated and blessed everyone around him. And even pagan pharaohs said of this, quote, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? So I'm here to tell you, and you know what I'm talking about in your situation, not only don't decline, elevate. Stay with God through your situation. And let me just tell you, Joseph was 17. Teenagers, don't decline through your situation. Don't decline even though the people around you might be. Don't decline even though you feel rejection in school or from your friends or even in your home. Don't decline. Stay true to God, even elevate you through blessing others around you. Let them see what a true follower of Jesus is like. Number two, trust God's timing. Trust God's timing. Thirteen years passed from the pit to Potiphar to prison to the palace. Two years passed from when the cupbearer forgot him in prison. Seven years of plenty went through, two years of famine before his brothers finally showed up. It wouldn't have worked any other way. You tell me, oh, you know, we could have shaved about six years off of this. No, it wouldn't have worked any other way. Trust God's timing. Here's number three. Remember God's vision is bigger than yours. Remember his vision is bigger than yours. Now, I love this. 
Remember Joseph's dream? Joseph's dream was that these 11 sheaves would bow down to his one. That happened in chapter 45. And here's the cool thing. So all of a sudden his brothers come and bow down in chapter 45 and it wasn't, woo, my dream came true. You know, it's not like Disney World, dreams come true. Dreams come true. It didn't happen like that. Because Joseph now realized this is bigger. This is bigger than sheaves bowing to another sheaf. Like God had this happen for something way bigger than what I thought back when I was 17. And in fact, he said, this is, this is the saving of many lives. It was saving hundreds of thousands and millions of lives. It was saving the nation of Israel from the famine. It saved all of Egypt from the famine. It saved Joseph's family from the famine. Can I just like uh, help us to put together a couple disconnected thoughts here? If it saved Joseph's family from the famine, out of Joseph's family came the line of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Folks, are you following me here? And Jesus Christ came to earth to die for us. And do you realize ultimately he didn't just save Egypt. He didn't just save Israel. He didn't just save Joseph's family. He didn't just save the line of the Messiah, but by doing so, he also made a way for our salvation and redemption through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sin. God's vision was way bigger than Joseph's. And shows all the wisdom that goes through it. So I just want you to think here for a moment. What are you going through? This isn't just doing church this morning. I just didn't want to fill up like 35 minutes of your time slot and say, hey, it's been good. What are you going through? How can we go through it the way God wants us to go through it? Because he can make something awesome out of it. He's intended to make something awesome out of it. He has a vision for your challenge. It is in his timing. And all that we need to do, we don't need to force a comeback. We just need to steadfastly obey. And be the type of follower he wants us to be. And let him create our comeback. Would you pray with me? With your eyes closed, where are you at now? What is your situation like now? Are you feeling rejection? Hurt? Abuse? Trial? Challenge? And which one of these situations connect with you?
Because no matter how big you're going through this situation, no matter how daunting it seems, God's bigger. No matter, no matter how painful it is, his purpose is greater. And what does he need from us? He needs us to follow him. And trust him. Because he's great. And in our obedience, he'll bring his purpose and he'll make the comeback. In your situation, connect the dots, folks. Do you need to talk to him for a moment? Have you been doing things your own way? Have you been compromising your position, your standards? Have you declined with your circumstances? Have you been impatient with God? It's time to give that up. Would you talk to him for a moment? Stand with me. I want to pray for you. God, we all have we all have pain. We've all experienced challenge and trial and rejection. God, thank you for the example of Joseph. And thank you for the lessons that our God is bigger and rules over every problem we face. Forgive our faithlessness. Forgive when we've gone our own way. Help us to be faithful to you through whatever it is. We pray this in Jesus' name.